Let's pray again. Father, I just want to confess I lack evangelistic zeal to go to go after <clears throat> the last and the least and the lost. Would you change my heart today and this weekend to have more of a heart of the shepherd, to more to have more of the love of Christ, the the lover of sinners. And Lord, would you work in all of us in a deeper way, in a more permanent way, to be faithful elders and shepherds, to be faithful sheep, and that our that our assemblies and our churches would be would be healthy spiritually, a healthy environment for the least, the most ignorant, the newest babe to come into for the most broken to come into and find life and love. So Lord, we just thank you for the truth today that we're reflecting on, remembering, meditating on. We pray that you would really give us grace to believe it and to walk in it and to apply it. For Zion's sake, the sake of your church in the earth. Because, Father, the church in the earth is the most important thing happening on this planet. More important than what's happening in Washington, in the Pentagon, and the United Nations, all that stuff. Lord, the world is passing away, and the lust thereof, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Only the church in the earth as an entity will be in eternity. So we pray, Lord, that you would fit us for the task more. For Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 20. We'll read as our text for this final session. Thank you for your gracious welcome, your true and sincere attention to these things, your good questions. And as we go back to Texas, Lord willing, Monday, when you think of us, pray for us to live what I'm speaking. And I'll pray for you and your your assemblies, your churches, to for the Lord to establish these things and enable you to be faithful. Acts 20, verses 18 through 21. Acts 20. I think that's wrong. Wrong reference. Uh, let me make sure where I am. It helps to get past John's Gospel to get to Acts. That's that's the starting point. Acts 20. Acts 20. Verse 18 through 21. The Apostle Paul... Says, and when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. So now, pause. 
Paul's going to become autobiographical here. He's going to remind them the kind of ministry he had among them. He's going to remind them how he walked and how he lived among them. Verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations and trials, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable to you. So pause on that one. That's how we need to be as elders. We need to hold back nothing that's truly profitable. The things that will offend, the things that will sting, the hard medicine, and the things that encourage. Holding back nothing that's profitable for the saints. False prophets and hirelings only give the palatable. They'll only speak that which seems encouraging and, quote, uplifting. They don't want to lose their audience. They don't want to lose their ministry following often. Or they, they're afraid of men. So they will hold back some things that are profitable. That would really profit the saints. Paul says, How I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you, alright, there's his example, have shown you, I've, I've made it evidence of, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to speak in this session on practical pastoral care. Paul here talks about public ministry and what other kind of ministry? House to house. How can the Lord give us a real approach as elders or as shepherding people an open door for practical, ongoing pastoral care of one another. He can do that by us learning to, how to build a bridge pastorally as leaders with people under our care. How can we begin to build that bridge? How do we actually shepherd week in and week out and experience the fruitfulness of tending to the needs of the sheep, of caring for the flock of God. Because as I said already, it will not happen just on the Lord's Day unless you leave the meetings and you're regularly with some sheep and you dig in. You share fellowship. You, you rehearse the, the sermon from, this, from the morning and you begin to talk and share your heart. You begin to ask each other good questions. You build that bridge of one-on-one, house-to-house. We can only shepherd people by being with them. We can only be with them by planning strategically, initiating intentionally personal times with people. It's not going to happen any other way. By the approach of regular, systematic, what we call at home, 
pastoral visits with the flock, regular intentional visits. I don't know if any of you, how many of you remember the name Richard Baxter, the Puritan in England and where he, he was a shepherd, I think for 20 years in, in the village. I won't get the pronunciation right. Kidderminster. That's pretty close. And he modeled this. Um, he was regularly with the saints to catechize. It wasn't long visits. But it was a personal, incarnational, pastoral touch with the family. He would catechize. And he probably asked questions. We don't know how Baxter did it. But it's recorded in the famous book, The Reformed Pastor. Banner Truth keeps that in print. But you might take a look at that book, The Reformed Pastor. Baxter was a model of a Puritan pastor and shepherd um, visiting the flock. Uh, so, as I said earlier, our church has has met for 23 years. And early on, as elders, we had this conviction that spoke to us from Scripture that we needed to have intentional pastoral care of the flock. And so we said, how do we do that? So the Lord led us to uh, establish... Um, pastoral visits with every member of the flock that was truly under our care. In other words, whatever you want to call that. Committed people who God has placed under our care. Um, And we intentionally made it a part of our ministry week in and week out to be with the sheep one-on-one. And so... Um, for years when we were smaller and it, then as we added more elders, we went from two to three to four to five elders. Oh, and we've had five elders for the last 16 years. When the, when the flock grew and there was more care needed, the Lord would have prepared a man to rise up and become another elder. As the flock continued to grow from there, three, four years later, and three of us couldn't care for the sheep adequately, we added a fourth elder because he was ready. The needs of the sheep and the pastoral care determine the the quantity of elders that are needed, but they have to be men that are ready and recognized as being shepherds. So for years along with the regular preaching and teaching ministry, leading prayer meetings, etc., we would visit every member of the body, every sheep in our assembly, once every four weeks, divided among us. And then when that became too much work, we went to every eight weeks. And now we're at every 12 weeks. We have approximately 260 to 300 in our assembly that are faithful and committed. And the five elders among us, we divided the the committed uh, members into five groups. So January, February, March, I have 16, 18 families or single believers 
And my job for this this first quarter is to have a pastoral visit with those 18. And then, um, let's see, April, May, June, I'll get another group that one of the other elders had, and we rotate through that throughout the year. So everybody has a one-on-one sit-down, hour and a half, two hours, uh, not always two hours, hour, hour and a half, with an elder every 12 weeks. And this produces something that nothing else can produce, a one-on-one connection with the sheep to the shepherds. And it's relational. Brethren, I'm not talking about something organized. I'm talking about something that's organic. It's relational. It's relationships. As we as elders and leaders, and deacons can be this way too. Now we are, we are um, commissioning our deacons right now this quarter in our church to disciple couples who are young marriages, for instance. And these older marriages who've been married 20 years, 15 years, 30 years. They're taking a young married couple and they're pouring into them for six months. Just, and we just say, take this couple and you run with it. And they're doing that now. So discipleship is happening organically. The elders cannot do all the discipleship at all. The faithful, strong brethren in the church, older man with younger man, brother, peers with one another, women to women, you have to disciple one another. So this produces something that that um, nothing else can produce. A one-on-one connection with you as their leaders. Um, and the sheep actually know each elder. They know that he cares about them because he's been with them. Um, and it, the fruits of this are phenomenal because if I haven't, a pastoral visit with, let's say, two families one week, and I'm with them in their home, or, or their older, middle-aged couple, and their children are all out of the home. Maybe we'll meet for dinner or breakfast, whatever works. And I'm just with them. I had one Tuesday night with a, one of our deacons and his wife, and and it was just a warm time. How are you guys doing? Um, you know, all your children are married except now one still in the nest, and how's she doing? How are you all doing in life right now? And just finding out where they are and uh, praying together. And so what this does, this keeps a relational connection between the leaders and the sheep in the church. And when you then stand to preach on Sunday and you can look back at a couple that you were with maybe Thursday night, they know you relationally. And they know that hours ago you invested time in them. And they will benefit twice as much from your public ministry if you've been with them house to house. And as you said, brother, it's not complex. But it is a commitment to make time in your ministry for the one-on-one and for the house to house. And not just study to teach and preach. Um, We have to be intentional and proactive to choose to care for the sheep and pursue them in this way intentionally. Simple conversations that develop a connection more and more. Um, Having the saints in your home. Going to visit them in their homes. 
Pastoral home visits are very intentional and have to be planned. Um, so we talked about questions earlier. Someone asked me about what kind of questions you ask. If, if it's a brand new Christian or if it's some new believers into the assembly, you don't know them yet, right? So maybe they've been coming eight weeks and then one of the elders says, hey, I'd like to get together with you. Can we have you over next week? Or could I come by and see you guys and get to know you? Seem like the Lord is putting you here among us. So, And if that is the case, they're going to want that connection. And so you're with them and you might start out. Listen, it's great that you've been coming. Um, could I share my own testimony with you, how I came to Christ? And you share with them how you came to the Lord and, and then you turn, turn it around on them. Well, tell me, tell me about your testimony, both of you, or if it's two people. And their answer is going to give you insight into where they are spiritually. Their answer may help you see, well, I think she's a true Christian, but I'm not sure about him. Or you see that they both are. Those two testimonies will take the whole visit, right? You've broken the ice. And, and then continue visits periodically. Would be, so maybe you schedule another one two months later or four weeks later. The next conversation might be, well, it was great to visit last time. And tell me about your church background. Anything significant about it? Then you're going to learn, were they Pentecostal? Were they Dutch Reformed? Were they, were they Baptist? You're going to learn, and you're going, to, you're going to grow in your knowledge about them. And that may open up conversation. You may not get past that in one visit. Some other questions periodically that we use strategically. Uh, <clears throat> have you ever been baptized as a believer? What have you been reading in the Scriptures lately? In what ways do you see the Lord working in your life more recently? In what areas of your life do you have spiritual struggles? If you don't mind me asking, you're free not to share things you don't feel comfortable with, but what areas maybe spiritually do you struggle in? What areas are you growing spiritually? What's the biggest challenge or trial you've faced in the last, in the last year? John, tell me that one. You could, couldn't you? Right? How can we as your... Now this is on later when they're really committed to the assembly. How can we as your elders or the the body specifically be more of a help to you? By the way, any of you men want these 80 questions, I'll email them to you. What questions do you have about our church, our ministry, our assembly? How can you grow to be more involved in church life? How can we best be praying for you? Uh, in what ways do you feel like you're growing as a believer? What do you desire to receive spiritually here among us? What do you desire to contribute spiritually? What specific books, authors, or preachers have had the biggest impact on your life up to this point? You get the point. Asking the questions primes the pump. It it causes things to be able to go deep and they begin to share. You learn their life. You see where they are spiritually. You're observing. 
And then the Holy Spirit will begin to bring just spontaneous things up. Uh, a year later, and maybe you've had two times with them, and they're liking this. We often have this experience. Someone will come up to one of us and say, uh, Brother Mac, did y'all forget me? I haven't had a pastoral visit in three months. They like it. And so at one point you're having a visit and it's going well and suddenly the wife will break down weeping. You know something big's going on. Well, we just found out my mom's dying of cancer and I love her so much and and I hadn't been a good daughter. And then the floodgates open and you, you pastorally care for them. So... Um, <clears throat> Another good one is, after you know them a little while, share with me about your children and their spiritual journey. Where do you think they are? How can, how can we be praying for them? And the whole time, every visit, you're listening. Your antennas are up. You're in the moment. You're caring. And you remember the famous statement, I think I'm paraphrasing, people don't care about how much we know until... They know how much you care. Yeah. Jesus' example, John says, having loved them, finish the verse. He loved them to the end. That's the way we as elders need to be toward the sheep. A new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. The love of God needs to be poured out in our hearts continually by the Holy Spirit for pastoral leadership and shepherding. The love of Christ must constrain us week in and week out. I've, but Linda has caught me before. Well, you know, I'm not... <laughs> I'm kind of tired. I'd rather just stay home with you tonight. I'm not feeling well. I think I'll text them. Say, I'm not feeling well. Could we reschedule? And often she'll say, Honey, you can do it. Just go ahead. The Lord will bless it. And He often does. Um, This is the commandment we've received that the one who loves God should love his brother also. And we must remember the sheep under our care are our brothers and sisters. So shepherds know well the state of their spiritual lives. Do all you can to help them maintain spiritual health. Go after them when they're straying. And they will stray. At least some of them. Be there for them. Carry them in on your hearts. Be with them regularly. Um, be a tender-hearted, loving spiritual father. <clears throat> so again, what are we to, to do as shepherds? We're to know them. We're to feed them and we're to shepherd and care for them regularly. So now I want to turn from the shepherds to the sheep. Sisters, maybe brothers, you're not an elder, you're not a deacon, you're a man in the flock. Uh, I'm going to speak briefly on the responsibilities the sheep have toward their shepherds. Because this is a mutual relationship. What are the sheep responsible to do toward the shepherds? 
The sheep are not off the hook, according to the New Testament. They have duties as well. The responsibilities of the flock in relation to their elders, straight from the New Testament. Here's the first one. It'll sound like one I've already said. Know your shepherds. First Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. You recognize who they are. We beseech you, brethren, to know those who labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord. The elders are to know the sheep relationally, and the sheep are to know the elders relationally. And it's not all on the elders to get to know the sheep. The sheep should show hospitality because they, Paul says, are to know those who labor among them. Truly know them. Sheep are to know the true walk of their elders and their leaders. They're to be discerning and know well their character and their example. To know their hearts. To know their faith and their their lifestyle. To know what they truly believe. To know if they're men of integrity or not. To know if they live what they preach or not. To observe how they treat their family and elders and leaders. People will observe how we treat our wives and our children. They will observe it. To know if they're real or phony. So that, sheep, you can benefit the most from their ministry. You can't benefit the most from strangers' ministries. But if you know their life and their heart, then you will benefit in a maximum way from their ministries, to have true appreciation for their ministry and their labors, to recognize and realize all that they do for the saints in the kingdom of Christ. Each sheep is to do this. Know those who labor among you. That's on the sheep. In order that the sheep may properly begin to trust them and open their hearts properly to their shepherds. So know them. Know your shepherds. Number two, esteem them. Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians 5. Esteem them highly in love for their work's sake. That means you regard them highly in the love of God because of their work's sake, because of the gospel, because of their kingdom work. You love them and esteem them in a sincere and appreciative way simply because they are your shepherds under the ministry of the Lord Jesus. Sheep are to show their elders proper respect and proper biblical honor. You don't idolize any man. You don't blindly follow them. You follow them as they follow Christ. You be faithful Bereans to search the Scriptures to see if the things you're being taught are true. Remembering that Christ alone is Lord of your conscience as a sheep. True shepherds don't control others, but they are examples to the flock and they serve the sheep lovingly. So you esteem them in love for their work's sake because they minister the gospel to you. So you're to know them. You're to esteem them. Thirdly, you're to support them prayerfully and financially. Paul was always saying, brethren, What? Pray for us. Pray for us. 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. 
Let the elders that rule or lead well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox who treads out the grain. I don't know if you know who Sinclair Ferguson is, a well-known author. He's been to our church a couple of times. Uh, when he was leaving our house the last time, he had preached three times on the Lord's Day. And I was taking him to Dallas. I walked in and I handed him an envelope. He, I said, this is from the saints. He said, Mark, you don't need to do that. I said, brother, I thought you believed the Bible. You don't muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. And he grinned bigly in a big way. He knew I had him. <laughs> he was supposed to be supported, not because he needed the money, but because it's biblical, right, to support the leaders. As sheep, you support them prayerfully and financially. That means in the local assembly, if you are fed spiritual food, then you make sure they have enough physical food. You support them properly in the natural realm of provision if they feed you in the spiritual realm and care for your soul. Because the faithful, consistent giving to the Lord's work is to be used for kingdom work, especially in the support of gospel laborers and elders. So, sheep, you know them, you esteem them, and you support them. Number four, Hebrews 13, 7 and 17. Remember those who have the rule over you, who have spoken to you the word of God, whose faith follow. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. So fourth responsibility of the sheep, remember their biblical ministry among you. Always remember them. Pray for them. Remember what godly men Christ has given you as shepherds. Don't forget it. Don't become unappreciative. Remember their biblical ministry to you and follow their example of faith. And obey them. Now what is that? Let's just make sure we know what that means. If an elder comes to you and he hears you're going to go buy a new car and he loves Fords and he hears you're buying a Chevy, he doesn't have any right to come to you and upbraid you for buying a Ford. No. You don't have to obey that. What do you have to obey as sheep from an elder? When they bring to you the Word of God and it's clearly true and they bring that on your conscience and your conduct, you are obligated by Scripture to obey the Word of God that comes to you through them. So let's say a man is mistreating his wife. He's rude to her. He's impatient with her. And he scolds her. And this comes to his elders' attention. Any of his elders has a full biblical authority to speak to that professing brother and admonish him to repent and love his wife. That's biblical authority. If a professing brother is lazy and won't work, the elders or other brothers can exhort him, look, get a job, you're being lazy, stop it. And if he won't get one, then you excommunicate him after the second or third admonition. And if he's really hungry and he comes to your door, 
You don't feed him. That's Bible. If a man won't work, don't let him in. You have full authority to apply the truth of God in those kind of situations. That is not improper or unloving. That's biblical love. And that's what God gives a pastor spiritual authority to do at times. To exhort, to rebuke, to correct, to teach, to encourage, to admonish. And all those, by the way, are never, we never have liberty to abuse those spiritually and control people. That's when we'll give a real account to the great shepherd. No. But we cannot be afraid of men. We must obey God's word in our faithful duty as shepherds. And every sheep is bound by scripture to receive any biblical correction that shepherds properly and lovingly bring to their lives. So, that's four. Next and finally. First Thessalonians 5. After it says, know them and esteem them. Then Paul says, and live at peace among yourselves. He's talking to the Christians. Live in peace among your own brethren, among your own brethren for their sake, for the leader's sake, for your shepherd's sake. So, what does that mean? Every Christian is, is, has a responsibility within the assembly to live in peace among their relationships. You don't have a biblical right or freedom to have a broken relationship with somebody in the assembly and not make it right. That's leaven that will leaven the whole lump. That's poison that will poison the whole well. Do, do any of you know what it's like for elders to shepherd sheep that are, are at odds with one another? I've seen it. I've seen, I know of Christians, both who are true Christians, that will come into a church on Sunday morning. They avoid each other. One will sit over here and one over here. And they think they're worshiping God. They're singing. They're praising God. They're saying amen to the sermon. And they walk out avoiding each other. And they think they're right with God. Wrong. How can you love God whom you haven't seen if you're not loving your brother who you have seen? Carnal sheep that act like goats at times rather than sheep. Rebellious sheep that won't get along with one another. Paul says, live in right relationships. Be at peace among yourselves. Make it easy, in other words, for your elders to shepherd you by you getting along with one another and walk in love toward all the other sheep in the flock. Is that always easy? No. Because we get offended by one another. Neglected, something is said wrongly to one, one another. We judge one another. And those things the enemy will get and use to alienate us from one another. But we must walk in love. Um, because we know one another's imperfections. We know one another's inconsistencies and sinful tendencies. And we're tempted at times to become critical 
and impatient toward each other. This is why Paul so often is writing these kind of words in his epistles. Forgiving one another. Bear with one another. Be patient with one another. Forbear with one another. Love one another, Scripture says, as Christ loves you. So, how does this apply to the sheep? Don't be a sheep that makes it grievous to your elders to be your shepherd. Don't be a sheep that makes it a headache for your shepherds to shepherd to you. Don't live in some carnal way and one of your elders knows he needs to come to you to help you. And on the way over, he's dreading it. This is going to be so hard. I'm afraid if they'll... I'm afraid they're going to harden their heart. I'm afraid they won't receive it. Don't don't make it hard for your elders to shepherd you. Don't be a troublesome, critical, self-centered sheep. Don't try to worship the Lord on the Lord's day publicly if you're living in a broken relationship with your own within your own fellowship. It won't work. The Lord won't allow it and elders won't allow it. Remember in Philippians 4, what did Paul do with two ladies in the assembly? He called them out publicly, even in the Philippians. Now imagine Philippians, the letter coming to the church at Philippi for the first time, and it's being read publicly. And suddenly, wow, here's Euodius and Syntyche. They're sitting there in the in the assembly and they hear these words from Paul. I beseech Euodius and Tentiki to be of the same mind. They look over at each other. Maybe they nod. And they leave and they go outside and they get things right. Brethren, be a sheep that's easy to shepherd. Make it a joy to your elders to shepherd you. Don't be a gossip. Don't have a critical spirit. Don't be judgmental or disrespectful. Don't harbor a hard heart. Such sheep are difficult, if not impossible, to shepherd. Be an exemplary sheep. Be faithful and loyal to the assembly. Be one that serves. Be one who's an encouragement to others and a real example. Respect the office of your elders. Honor, love, and support them. And be open to receive their pastoral care. Why? Because they watch for your souls. Because one day soon they'll give an account. So brethren, these are the direct and primary responsibilities of every sheep in the fold, every member of the assembly and of the local church. The Bible binds every believer to walk in the truth. No one is to be on the fringe, inconsistent, with assembly life or with the prayer meetings. And this is upon the sheep themselves to obey the Word of God. So, your personal goal as an elder and as a sheep should be to be as faithful to the Lord Jesus as you can possibly be within your local church life. To be the most dedicated and exemplary sheep you can be. To follow your shepherds as they follow the great shepherd. Shepherds must shepherd well and sheep 
must follow well in order that our churches will be healthy, growing, loving, biblical, and will bring glory to Christ for the glory of God all our days. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Then we'll have any more questions. Lord, your word says the entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. And that means the humble. It doesn't mean the unintelligent. It means the humble one. The entrance of your word gives light and understanding to the humble believer. Lord, take what we've heard this morning afresh. And by your Holy Spirit, plant it deep in our hearts. We pray that you would watch over your word to perform it within us. That it would begin to produce fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold within our hearts and lives. And Lord, that we would walk in these things and bear fruit. Thank you for the blessedness and the freshness of your word. We praise you together and we're grateful in Christ's name. Amen. Questions? So when you go on a pastoral visit, do you take notes or do you just remember everything with a photographic memory or do you write them down later? The middle one you can fully eliminate, photographic memory. Uh, I think as the wisest thing probably, and um, I've not been great at this consistently. Some our other four elders are better at it. I think you certainly want to note the highlights, the important things, the critical things, the things that would be important to follow up on. You know, Kathy, how's your mom doing? Give me an update. Been praying for her. So afterward. It, it is important to note important things. Um, not only that you can follow up with them. Maybe you see them in a week. Sunday morning you say, well, how's she doing? Or, you know, brother, has your scripture reading been more consistent than I was with you? Follow up. But also, as elders, like I did this the other day, I, I sent a, a group text to our elders and I said, I'm going to be with this family three nights from now. Who was with them last? And what's what was a big takeaway? Anything I should follow up on? And then I go into the meeting with them. So that's how I would answer your question. Uh, had someone say this to me, and I shared it just before, that sometimes... This was said to me to try to help me not do this. But we can have a tendency to treat people as projects. So you've emphasized being genuine and organic and relational. I mean, it really comes down to just learning how to love people and be real with them. You know, I mean, you have different elders in your assembly. You may be more have more affinity with some of them than others. You may tend to go to them, but... Like, you share that responsibility. So, anything you can say to just kind of head that off for us 
because I know that the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in people's lives, it's, it's a work that he's doing. He's also shepherding us, too, of course. We're growing as people. And do you have any suggestions how to avoid that trap? Because it obviously doesn't feel very good to be a project. Right. Yeah, we certainly don't want people to feel that way. And the way to avoid that is, is again, what you just said, be real with them, be loving toward them, be relational. And that's not easy for some leaders. I think I've been in ministry now for actively, publicly since 1974. And I've had a timid personality, you know, a little bit shy, not good at, at pursuing people, not good at initiating conversations. Um, My wife knows this about me. I do have to work at it. I've had a little practice now, and I've learned how to do it better. And like one thing that I try to do every Lord's Day, because we share our preaching and teaching uh, between the five of us, if I have no responsibility one Lord's Day morning, and I'm just going to be a sheep, then I, I say this to myself, I want to go around and find three or four people I haven't talked to in weeks. I'm just going to go greet them, give them a hug. I hadn't, I hadn't talked to you guys in a month of Sundays or whatever. So good to see you. How, how are you all doing generally? Um, and it's just a relational reconnect. Nothing else that may be said but I'm expressing my pastoral heart as one of their elders to them. And it, it, it's meaningful. So I think you just keep it relational. But you reference something that will happen too. Some elders over time will have more of a connection with some than others. And those sheep with them, maybe they really minister to them, maybe... Something's going on. This happens with all five of us. And uh, and we recognize it as elders. <clears throat> and we don't, <clears throat> we don't let it bother us. We let it work to our advantage. Like if a marriage is really struggling, <clears throat> one elder's really got an inroad, then we'll say, hey, you take them the next three pastoral visits and you give me two of yours. And so, you just let that work to your advantage. Back here. Um, I just had a question. So, um, the sheep, when they work with the elders, is there like a way of doing things alongside of the elders that the sheep can do to minister to the other sheep? Yes, there is. Yeah, and I think that that would be somewhat limited and conditional in one sense by the very fact that if if you're in a pastoral visit with somebody and they they may really want to talk to you or you're going to talk to them about something important, 
you wouldn't just take any brother in the church in with a visit because they may not feel comfortable opening up about the topic. But that being said, uh, <clears throat> if, let's just say, I, I and you, if you, if a young man in the assembly was your age and you knew he was struggling, I knew he was struggling, and we're going to go try to encourage him, you and I go together. Two are better than one. So that's the kind of context you would do that. Yeah. Um, you think a good elder and shepherd will find like hobbies and fun personal time becoming less in their life as, as opposed to you know, pursuing eternal things? Let's say like working on your motorcycle and you're like, ah man, I could really go witness these or uh, uh, shepherd these people right now instead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a good question. I don't think it. A dear brother said one time, the will of God in one area of your life won't won't negate or nullify doing the will of God in another area of your life. So. you know, if your car needs to be, if the oil needs to be changed or tuned and you can do it, uh, there's no guilt over doing that instead of going to visit somebody. It's just having the balance in the natural realm and in the spiritual realm and living life and, and ministering. So, um, yeah. And it's not like this isn't doable. You know, you fix your... You fix your bike, but you go be with somebody later. Um, and it's, it's not even how much we do this. It's a matter of... Because one of the things I've encouraged Linda to do this year, as God leads her, is we have ten grandchildren. They all live close by. She's a very wonderful, hands-on grandmother. And her time is of a premium. But I've said, you know, one thing I think you maybe could do because you feel like you don't minister enough to people, which in my opinion is not right. She does that a lot. But I've said, look, make time intentionally to be with different sisters in the assembly. Go to breakfast. Have coffee. And you don't have to do it weekly. Just plan it. Do it regularly when you when you can put it in your schedule. And that's what you do with shepherding people. Even if it's one pastoral visit every two weeks you begin to do it and you learn to do it better and you let that become customized for your own lifestyle how you can do it best do you find that just meeting somebody for a cup of coffee is perhaps less effective than meeting in their house that's a very, very good question. Sometimes it is. So I think the way you evaluate this is, honestly, some ladies are embarrassed to have people in their home. And they're very sensitive about it. 
if they're not, if their home isn't the way they think others would think it ought to be. And so you have to be sensitive. You can ask the brother, hey, would you all be comfortable with me coming by for a, for a pastoral visit? And that's what you call these, by the way. When we started this out years ago, we told the brethren, look, as elders, we're going to start something new pastoral, pastorally, and that is we're going to do pastoral visits regularly. Don't be afraid. Don't run out of the church. Here's what it's going to look like. We're just going to be with you relationally an hour, an hour and a half, and see how you're doing, pray with you, and just it's going to be a relationship of support and love. And they got used to it, and it's it's non-threatening then. But it, it, it changes from family to family. A woman may feel like, Honey, you know, I don't keep the house the way I'd like it to look always. And Well, honey, but dear, it's, it's, the visit will be a week from now. Well, okay, I guess I can have the house clean. And so if, the, if they're comfortable with being in the home, it's, it's beneficial. Because you're on their turf, and maybe they'll open up on their own turf. They'll enjoy it more. If they, for whatever reason, they would rather not do it in their home, then you respect that and it's coffee or lunch or, or in your home. I think in, in the business world, the working world, a lot of times if you start with a company, they have an HR annual review. And sometimes those can be very formal and check this, check that. But after you've been there for 10, 15 years, boss, who knows, um, however, however long it is, the formality and intentionality of that can go down. Um, is that something that you would see as true or applicable in, in the church environment as well, where you, you know somebody, you know a family that's been with you for a very long time, how does that change? Um, your perspective or your interactions with them on a pastoral level? That's a great question and very valuable one. You know, we've had some people in our church that have, that have been there 22 years and some people that have been coming six months. So it, it looks different. With the, the ones with the decades, you're, you're friends, you trust one another, you have... You have a real history. Um, and so when you're with them, it's it's more laid back in a way. But it can't be just chit-chat. They know why you're with them. And so you just begin, you kind of know, okay, they, they've struggled in this area for years or they have this these children that are alienated from them, that are lost. I know that's a burden on their heart all the time. So you bring that knowledge of them to play on your next visit, and you kind of know which way to go. It may just be reminiscing. Um, I'll give you an example. A couple of months ago, I was with a man for a pastoral visit. His wife was was not there, but it it was a it was what we would call an ER case, uh, urgent care. And we kind of have that category. If there's urgent care marriages or urgent care individuals, 
one of us are going to be with them once a month and not just three months. So I might have a pastoral visit with this couple this quarter, but another elder may be with the man every month. Why? Because he's real needy. We have a man who, who's lived in with clinical depression for years. And he's as faithful of a Christian as I've known ever, honestly. But he lives sometimes for months under a cloud of spiritual depression. He feels like he's rejected by God. He has no assurance. He can't get assurance no matter what he does. He feels downcast. and But he never misses the Lord's Day meetings or the prayer meeting. He's there. So I had a time with him. And it's just a time you don't avoid the topic. I said to him, called his name. Well, how do you how do you you feel like you're any improvement lately? Or are you still under the clouds? Well, Mac, maybe a little improvement. And so I'll just listen. He'll talk a little. And then what I did, I I married them in in the nineteen eighties. So I said, I said, brother, just think of the forty years of memories we have together. Your wedding. God used you in the open air evangelism so much. You're so faithful. We love you so much. The church loves you. And that was 30 minutes of talk. And it just was beneficial to him. So the longer you know them, the more you know how to kind of make that visit with them, the longer term relationships, quality, quality. Does that answer it? Maybe that's not what you... No, that is. I thought that's what I heard you asking. You still, you don't... It doesn't... The pastoral visitation needs, the pastoral care needs shouldn't go away. It won't go away. They should be maintained. The tone may change, but they should be... They should continue the same. Right. And why wouldn't the past? Why wouldn't the pastoral go away with a 40-year relationship? Somebody tell me. Part of church Christian life is exactly because they still have needs now presently to be strengthened, and the longevity of the relationship hadn't changed that. They're still Christians walking out the Christian life. They're still they still have needs that arise, and they need the loving care of brothers. So, do you have any intentional times for the elders to meet with the, the elders? as a pastoral care to make sure that they are doing well and everything like that? Or? The elders with elders. Right. We do at times. Um, early on when when time wasn't critical, I think the first 15 years of the church, we would do that. Lynn and I would be on someone's pastoral visitation list, this elder or that one, and would be with them. Um, It finally came to the point where there were so many visits to regularly have that we didn't have time to keep including one another as a planned meeting. Um, 
And so we've kind of stopped that now. But when we need one, we'll ask for one. Linda and I had a call with another elder and his wife this week. They were out of town. The pastoral visit was on the phone. Four of us on the phone together talking about something something important in our lives. So we we continue to do it um, as as the need is there. You never mention anything about meals, whether you prohibit them or whether you encourage them. In other words, when there's an elder meeting with a family, I think that would be a very sensitive issue. Sensitive in what sense? Well, some people will expect uh, that you're, they're supposed to serve you a meal, and some people say, I'll never let them come in my house because they'll expect a meal. <laughs> so you have rules that there are no meals, or are there sometimes or not? No, we don't have rules that there are in their home if they say, well, you want to come for dinner? Absolutely. I'll be hungry. <laughs> I mean, you're, you know, it's great to do that because it, it's a warm atmosphere. If, if somebody's coming to our home and it's after work, Linda will always want to do a meal for them, but it doesn't have to be that. Um, or sometimes I'll meet like an elderly couple. It'll be over a breakfast or lunch, meet them out somewhere. But in coming over to their home, you know, I would I would never bring that up. Obviously, I'll I'll say, is seven p.m. good? And they'll say sure. If they don't bring up the meal, I don't mention it. If they do, I'll say sure. Looking forward to it. So we let them kind of set the ground rules on that. Go ahead. Galatians six talks about the burden bearing that we do with each other in the church, and then there's a. The verse 5 says that each one must carry his own load. So the question that I have just, I see one of our brothers who's shepherded our church family for a long time. And I see sometimes how those burdens, though don't always know what they are, uh, weigh on him. And how do you deal with those, those things that you can't talk to just anybody about? Uh, to keep yourself healthy, to keep doing this. Uh, I know it was the Lord. Uh, we take these things to Him. But just anything you want to say about, you know, because that could be a danger for those of us who are trying to shepherd others. And if we get overburdened, again, you've already addressed this before, my other question about going with your capacity, but sometimes I, there could be a lot of crises for a season or something, and it gets a little overwhelming. Right. Even the Apostle Paul felt overwhelmed. He mentions all those things he was going through, and then he says, uh, not to mention the daily care of the churches. You know, so he was always, uh, there's no way the care won't affect us, burden us, and weigh us down and take a toll on us. That is why genuine breaks from ministry are important. A sabbatical, uh, as elders now, each of us are, are allotted one month sabbatical every year to do no ministry. 
and we're free just to be fed. We're free to vacation, and we don't have to do any ministry. Nothing. Not elders' meetings, not pastoral visits, not speaking. It's just a sabbatical. It's very therapeutic. Uh, Jesus had come apart and rest a while, right? Well, ironically, remember when he said that, and <laughs> what happened? <laughs> the multitude came, and so no break then. But um, so, for one thing, just a couple of comments. When believers pour out their heart to us and share confidential things, as elders, we will never break that confidentiality. There are things we'd never tell our wives because their wives are not fellow elders or church officers. There are things in general we could share with our wives, you know, because I know the couple maybe would want us together to pray for them. Um, And so, but we would never divulge anything pastorally with anybody else in the church of those times together. Um, We we have two elders meetings ourselves weekly. One is a phone conference call, one's in person. And we share all those things in-house internally to simply think about and pray for and analyze how can we help them right now. And, we'll, and we brainstorm. And then we, we will have unity, unanimous unity on an approach in, it's, as far as if there's a big decision to be made or not. So I saw another hand back there a while ago that didn't get answered. Well, I, I was wondering, you know, Americans are kind of a proud, independent people, do you run into a lot of people who want to attend your assembly but maybe rebuff attempts at pastoral care? Only Texans are that way proud and independent. A lot of that down there. Yes, we do. I think (laughs) we had one very sweet man. He's probably in his late 50s. They've been in the church Anyway, this brother is so wonderful. <laughs> and at a prayer meeting one night, people were talking about how they loved the fellowship and the, the relationships within the body. And this guy said, well, I guarantee you one thing, you're not going to be able to hide here because <laughs> these guys pastor you. And so he meant it as a compliment. And so we we have had people that that are attracted to the public worship, the teaching, the loving atmosphere, but they're more private. They've never been pastored like that, and they're they they kind of become uncomfortable with it. Maybe they don't want to. Maybe they don't want that close of a level of pastoral care, and then they'll end up leaving. Um, in fact. A couple, he's in his 70s, she's in her 60s, have been coming for a couple of months. Lynn and I have known this guy for since 1980 probably. 
but he's never been in our assembly. And and they want to start coming. And he, and he absolutely loves it, and she loves it. But as we've talked to them about it, um, I think they both backed off. And they're not sure that they can go to that level of relationships or church life or accountability or whatever. So they may not continue. But that's the answer to your question, yeah. It happens all the time. But we have never lessened our standards so more people will come. So it's easier to come and just be on the fringe. We've never lessened our standards biblically. And we don't do it perfectly. Anyone else? Question. I just wanted to affirm you in your timidness, which your wife was probably attracted to when you were in kindergarten. <laughs> that, that is part of what makes you perhaps so approachable. Because there's extroverts who are loud. You know, I'm a little bit more that way. And sometimes that can be intimidating to people. But the person who's more maybe introverted, more timid in personality just by disposition, God uses all different types, and we need all of those types. But I just wanted to affirm you that, you know, here you are, seasoned, you've been going into this, you, you're sharing these things with us, and we really appreciate that because it's, I can imagine, I mean, it, it sounds like a lot of work, <laughs> and it is, isn't it? But uh, we really... Well, thank you, brother. That's kind of you to say. It's It's been a delight to be with you, and... Um, Obviously, I don't have near all the answers. I'm still working at this and uh, growing in it. It is, it's hard week in and week out, every quarter for us, for me to get a new group and say, okay, I'm starting over again. I'll contact three, these three here about visits over the next two weeks and, and you just keep at it. You keep plotting. You know, the tortoise, the tortoise and the hare, right? You keep plotting. Yeah, so any final questions? Thank you so much for your kindness and it's a delight to be with you. The Lord bless you.